0: Well, welcome to the Cave of Adullam, now coming to you for the first time via the Morelands podcast. Uh, This is where we get to chew over things that our church family have been thinking about in the Bible, um, or occasionally digging deeper into a current uh, topic that we're thinking about as a church. Now, we haven't sorted out our intro song yet. We're working on it. We welcome your suggestions. Um, But just to introduce myself, I'm Joe Standwick. I work as a student pastor here, now turned podcast host And today I'll be interviewing uh, Danny Rolander and asking him some questions about the recent sermon series that we've had at church So Danny, welcome, I wonder if you could just uh, start by telling us who you are and what we've been studying at church recently
1: Thanks very much Joe, and um, it's good to be on the Cave of Adullam podcast for the first time Um, They call me the senior pastor or the lead pastor Senior um, has always um, clashed with my sense of youth, but now I'm a grandfather, I think I can sort of cope with it um, but basically lead pastor means that I, I lead the elders and staff team and I guess my job is to try and set the direction of the church and keep it on mission and one of my particular responsibilities is, is to take a major share in the Bible teaching that happens particularly on Sunday mornings and um, we're about to come to the end of a seven-week series in 2 Samuel 15-20 to and regulars to this podcast and members of the church will know that we've been working our way through one and two samuel um just taking a little section every every term or so uh a couple of times a year for about five years now and just looking back um in preparation for this i i I realized that this sunday will be my 60th sermon on the books of one and two samuel so uh, we've been living with this book for some time that is amazing Good stamina. And Danny Weldon. Um and it's not just
0: the adults and young people you've been listening to T Samuel. Um, our primary school age children have also been looking at T Samuel yep. um, in their grub groups and our adult growth groups as well have been thinking about it during the week at yep. the same time.
1: Because I think we're increasingly convinced as a church that it's better to get to grips with one part of the Bible really well rather than kind of flit around all over the place. Um, for example, it's wonderful thing i think when the children go home from church and they can they can chat to their parents they've been studying the same thing
0: yeah we've felt the benefit of that a lot talking talking to our children after group groups it's been a particular highlight of isla our four-year-old daughter that she was hush eye right in in group groups and she got to wear spy glasses fantastic which was brilliant and she's talked a lot about that so yeah it's been a great few weeks and we've been very encouraged as a church family and god has been teaching us a lot from his word um two things I think I've been particularly struck by in this series. One um, is seeing Jesus afresh and seeing that he's both powerful and good enough to bring about the kingdom that this world longs for. Mm -hmm. And we see with David that he can't do that, but Jesus can. And that's been great to see. And I've also been very encouraged to see the right response to Jesus as well in people like Itai mm-hmm. and Mephibosheth, who mm-hmm. give everything to follow David yeah. as a model of what we sh- we should be like with yeah. Jesus. It's been very helpful. Great. What about you, Danny? What's encouraged you from, from this series?
1: Well, I love teaching the Old Testament. Um, I, I love teaching every bit of the Bible. But I think the purpose of teaching any part of the Old Testament is really to gain a bigger picture of Jesus. And the particular thrill of the books of Samuel is that that picture of Jesus is particularly clear it's becoming particularly clear at this point in the Old Testament story um, because if you think about it you know how does the New Testament introduce Jesus it is Jesus the Christ how do we know what the Christ looks like or what kind of person he is well we go to David preeminently and in the books of uh, one and two Samuel we see the pattern for the Christ um, sort of laid down and against that pattern, all future kings of Israel are measured. so when we when we meet Jesus in the New Testament, he is the Christ, He is son of David. And what that means is we can't understand Jesus in his in his fullness, in his glory, unless we understand David um, both his good bits and bad bits.
0: Yeah, and I suppose sixty seven is in. Every single week, we're learning to delight in Jesus and mm. trust in him more. And that's why it's so precious to us as a, mm. as a church family, mm. isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And if we're not getting a bigger view of Jesus, then I think I've failed in in my task as a preacher. Um, but one of the particular ways we, we do it is this combination of same and better. Uh, so on the one hand, we're seeing the pattern for the kingdom to come, um, the pattern for the Christ to come. Um, and it's a magnificent pattern you know particularly in the the early chapters um, up until chapter 11 we we see David at his very best um, I think and I've said this a couple of times I think we see David as the the best human being, the best of humanity, this sort of new Adam who is ruling as we we read it at the end of chapter eight I think um, in righteousness and justice um, So here is a picture of um, what God's Christ is going to look like, and a glimpse of what God's kingdom is going to look like, and as you say, we see those kind of responses of the people of faith, and it's great. It's a, it's a great picture.
0: And I suppose in those early chapters of Two Samuel, we were thinking a lot about how David is showing us what Jesus is going to be like in His goodness mm. and in His righteousness. Mm. But then things change in Two Samuel eleven. Yeah. Um, just tell us a bit about that change in in chapter eleven.
1: Yeah. Well, the um, David's um adultery and murder are obviously you know terrible sins it's a terrible crisis but theologically it's a very important part of the book because it 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 tells us um that david is not after all going to be that that perfect leader that god's people need and really from chapter 11 onwards the story you know right to the very end is is the outworking of that sin and god's judgment on him um, which leads to the destruction of the kingdom and so there we there, there we get that kind of that, that structure of you know the same but better we see the shadow of the kingdom and we see the, the kind of outline of the christ we realize it's not david but that sets us up to look for the the kingdom and the christ in the new testament so this sunday i think at some point i'm going to just refer to hebrews twelve twenty eight. we are waiting for a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that, that is basically the message of of 2 Samuel and um, 15 to 20 the section that we're just finishing particularly helps us with that because it it brings us the I suppose the negatives of the kingdom in all their their ugliness Um, and one of the things we've been learning week after week is that trusting man to fix world's problems really is a lost cause if David who I think is the best human being who's ever lived other than Jesus Um, If he can't pull it off then nobody can and I guess that helps us to be realistic about the world we live in and to look forward to the kingdom that is to come
0: And I think in in all of that mess of 2 Samuel and all the frustration, all the difficulties in the narrative It's been very helpful I think for us to learn that this world is not Hmm. an easy place to live in Sometimes it's a sad place, it's a hard place, it will disappoint Um, but it's made us long for that kingdom that Jesus is going to bring. Um, I guess one of the questions that's come up a lot from people is, how do we read to Samuel in a way that we're not just drawing moral lessons from it? Hmm. Um, Be like her, Hmm. don't be like him. But then at various points, we have sometimes made that application of, Hmm. Mephibosheth be like him, or hmm. I be like him. Hmm. So, how do we read 2 Samuel well as Christian scripture that teaches us about Jesus while avoiding maybe some of the, hmm. the dangers of, of moralism?
1: Yeah, that's a really, really helpful question. I um, love to think about Jesus' view of the Old Testament. He He's the kind of the guide, I think, to help us. And in Luke 24, um, he says to the disciples, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus looks at the whole of the Old Testament story and he says um, in a way that is really quite breathtaking. It's all about me. If you don't understand the Bible, you don't understand me. And if you don't understand me, you'll never understand the Bible. So what that gives us is a kind of, um, I guess, a guideline to reading every part of the Old Testament and to make sure that once we've looked at the details, we can can kind of map a road to Christ. And not just to Christ in general, but to those three things he talks about in Luke 24, his suffering, his resurrection, and the, the, the preaching of the gospel. So there's a big picture element to it. We know before we've even started what the outcome is going to be. We know it's going to lead us to Christ, but that then leaves us with the details of relating the the, the, the challenge of relating the details to the big picture. And this is where I think you've got to, um, as you study a book, you learn the methods and the skills and the emphases of the narrator himself. The narrator is our guide to understanding the passage. So, for example, he he rarely makes moral comments, rarely makes moral judgments, um, but he guides us in all sorts of clever ways so that we can relate that episode to the wider canvas and then we can work out from that the road to Christ. That's really helpful. I mean,
0: it'd be helpful just to think about one example of that. Um, a recent one was David's suffering at the hands of Absalom. Could mm. you just tell us how we'd read that passage in mm. terms of what you've just been saying? Yeah,
1: that's a good example because... You don't just want to say, right? Anybody who suffers in the Old Testament is a kind of a type of Christ. So, how do we know that David's suffering is is leading us to 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 understand Jesus' suffering? And I think there's a there's a as you do the work on the narrative and you look at the details, and I really do mean the the details, you know, the, the words that the the narrator uses, you you start to see a trail of breadcrumbs going backwards and forwards in the Bible. So, in that case, backwards, we talked about his use of exodus language that um that word that he keeps on using to be the passover as jesus as david leaves jerusalem goes into the wilderness we can see we're being taken back a step in israel's history we've got this kind of reversal idea going on and then you can take the trail of breadcrumbs forwards so things like the fact that david is crossing the kidron valley he's going up the mount of olives he's weeping he's lamenting over jerusalem all of these things are then picked up by the gospel writers so that the connection becomes um, pretty obvious, I suppose, in a way. If you read that episode in the context of the whole Bible, um, and bearing in mind what Jesus says in Luke 24, how do we know the Christ is going to rise again? There's no one verse in the Old Testament where you can go to say, the Christ will rise again. But the whole kingdom of David comes to a crashing end in 2 Samuel, but what has God said in 2 Samuel 7? The kingdom of David is going to live forever. So that's why Christ will rise again, mm-hmm. because God promised the kingdom of David uh, would, would be, be ruled by his descendants. Therefore, the Christ had to rise. Mm-hmm.
0: That's very helpful, Danny. And I think what you're giving us here is a way of reading the Bible that sees Jesus in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is how Jesus wanted us to read the Old Testament. Yeah. And the more we do it, the more we'll learn how to have yeah. these skills. Yeah, been yeah that's about.
1: right. It's cumulative.
0: Um, let's talk about maybe some of the specific questions that have come up Into Samuel. Samuel. Um, you mentioned earlier that the narrator doesn't often give moral judgments about things that happen in the narrative. And that can be hard for us because there are things that have come up in the narrative that have caused us to raise our eyebrows, mm. particularly about the ethics of certain actions or the things that are happening in the Bible um, as a way of advancing David's cause and his kingdom. So let me just give you some examples of that. One is one is lying, mm-hmm. is it right to lie and we've 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 had that question come up. the other is polygamy, mm. and then the third is that David has concubines, mm. and so throughout we've been thinking, are these right, and mm. how do we work out whether these are mm. are right or wrong
1: mm. Mm. yeah, well, I mean there's loads we could say about this we could we could easily fill half an hour talking about these things um from a sort of you know theological ethical point of view. But I think we'll we'll stick to the narrative for now, stick to the way the narrative handles this. And um, on the subject of lying, first of all, there's a, there's a couple of things we can say um, from within the narrative. Firstly, one thing we've noticed is that God's sovereignty is driving everything forward. Um, so God is keeping his promises, and he is totally able to use the evil actions of human beings to, to drive his purposes forward. And in fact... That's exactly what he does. He uses um, the, the um, rape, murder, adultery, um, brutality of Joab. All of these things get swept up in his purposes without God being the author of evil. And, and lying has got to be one of those things as well. So that's that's the first thing to say is that it fits under that, that big kind of um, plank of God's sovereignty, which is using man's sinfulness. So when you see these things happening, polygamy, lying, etc., um, it, it, in, in some ways that answers the question because this is a human story but God is actually overseeing it and he's bringing about his purposes
0: and, and I suppose one big way of seeing that in the Bible is to look
1: at the cross that is the think? ultimate way it happens isn't it Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we yeah. see
0: human evil at yeah. its pinnacle yeah. and at that point God yeah. is working out his good purposes yeah. for salvation yeah. for the world yeah that's
1: right but that's still, that still raises the question of how is it possible that a couple of times the good guys uh use lies as a way of furthering their purposes so i think the recent examples with a woman who misdirects absalom's men in chapter 17 and then hushai who tells a whole load of lies in absalom's court uh, in order to i guess answer david's prayer to god that he will turn Ah out wisdom to um now these are not unique. There are other times when uh, someone on God's side achieves their purpose and advances the kingdom by lying. I guess the classic example is Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, lying about the Israelite spies in Joshua two, um, and then we'll all remember David uh, pretending to be mad in the Philistines in in one uh, Samuel twenty one. And these causes a problem. They cause us to scratch our head because the Bible does place such a high view on truthfulness. You shall not lie. Um, so a couple of things we can say first I think it's important not to moralise and make generalisations and we can't use these incidents to justify doing these same things so these incidents happen because they're part of the story they're not there as moral lessons either good or bad so I don't think we can kind of take these incidents and say actually if, if we're in the same situation we would do the same thing but secondly, when we pay attention to the situations in the, in the narrative, we see a common thread. And the common thread, I think, is that in each of these cases, the person lying is in a position of weakness against a more powerful oppressor. Um, so in extreme cases, we could say it may be justified to act in defence by telling a lie to an aggressor. And I guess the classic example people give in this ethical question is, you know, the Nazi stops you is that are the Jews hiding in your cellar? What do you say? Well, I'm pretty sure I would say no (laughs) to the Nazi. I'll tell a lie to the Nazi to protect the weak, even though I know lying is wrong, because of course there are degrees of sin. And I think the sin of lying to a Nazi who's about to exterminate some Jews is not the same as the sin of murdering the Jews. And thirdly, in these situations, the act of lying is actually an act of hostility against the more powerful enemy. So you could say that the situation the weak person is put in means that the aggressor does not deserve the truth. When the woman lied to Absalom's men, um, the act of lying is a statement that she is on God's side and she is the, the weaker person being attacked. Mm. And she uses the sin of lying as an act of hostility against the aggressor that's about as far as i can get it's <laughs> oh, very helpful
0: um and it's a it's such a hard thing to think through isn't it but staying in the narrative yes that's is right very yeah helpful.
1: yeah remembering it happened because it happened not because this is a moral lesson either way yeah
0: and and i suppose another thing to do is take then a wider view of the bible and yeah what's the bible teach about yeah truth and lying yeah. and sin we have to all exactly
1: and and all the way through god is a god of truth mm.
0: yeah so that's the, the topic of lying. That's yeah. one of the questions that came up. The other one is is polygamy, and uh, David having yeah. con- concubines. Could you just give us a few yeah. comments on that?
1: Yeah, this is a bit simpler, a bit I think. But again, like lying, um, the wider bit, as you just said about lying, the, the wider biblical picture is unambiguous. That God's purpose is very clear. It's for monogamous marriage from the beginning, Ju- uh, Genesis two. Jesus affirms that in Matthew nineteen, and yet. Well, therefore, we get surprised when we see all these um, polygamous marriages and concubines surprisingly widely in the Old Testament, particularly among um, the patriarchs and and kings. Um, And even more surprising is that we, we, I think, almost never get a moral judgment from the narrator against it. Um, So again, a couple of things to say. One is to think about the way biblical narrative works. Now we've already said that the narrator very rarely gives us a moral statement. So, comments like the one in um, 2 Samuel eleven twenty six, 26, the thing David had done displeased the Lord, they're very rare and therefore they kind of stand out. You know, they're, they're, they're important. Um, there's a guy called David Alter who um, is a Jewish commentator who specializes in sort of Old Testament narrative. And I remember him saying, if you read the book of Genesis and you come away from Genesis and you're not clear that polygamy is an absolute disaster and against God's will, you don't know how to read narrative because the story itself makes it so abundantly clear just by showing you rather than telling you that polygamy always leads to unhappiness and and misery. Mm. So you don't need to be told a moral judgment. You just need to read the story and, and you can kind of see it for yourself because the narrators tend to show us rather than tell us.
0: So, so the first thing you're saying there is one is the positive picture of marriage that we see in the Bible, and the other thing is seeing how going against God's design, the consequences of that in the narrative are are clearly destructive. Yeah, that's right. And it it
1: shows you that all the time, and it shows you that in David as well. And the second thing to say is, so why do the kings and the patriarchs, but particularly the the Israel's royalty, why do they practice this? I think it's an indication of how Israelite society and especially Israelite monarchy is getting caught up in the world because polygamy and concubinage were very, very common, you know, absolutely universally in the ancient Near East. There's a warning in Deuteronomy 17, 17, which says the kings of Israel must not do that. They must not ape the world. And so when we read in 2 Samuel 5, David took more concubines and wives, it's a little sign, even before the big fall has happened, it's a little sign that he's being influenced by the wider culture. And I think there's a very practical application for us here, is that I think polygamy and, and concubines are a blind spot in the Old Testament. It's something that they're just doing because the wider culture is so prevalent in the wider culture. And it, it makes me want to ask, well, what are our blind spots? Um, if someone were to look at our church in 200 years' time, And say well what were they doing you know maybe our idolatry of careers wealth materialism uh, maybe the way we treat children um, maybe the way feminism has influenced us all of these things might be blind spots or, or something i'm talking to the students about on sunday night is greed um in all my years of being a pastor people have come to me you know people have confessed all sorts of sins to me i don't think i've ever had anyone come and say can you help me with my greed it might just be one of those blind spots like polygamy. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's what it says to me.
0: And a very helpful thing to think through. And if you're listening to this podcast, we'll let you discuss that. Yeah. Maybe in your cars, if you're listening or wherever you are. Um, I think we'll draw it to a close there. Danny, thank you so much for, uh, for answering those questions and thinking it through. Thanks, thank Joe. you for coming up to 60 weeks of preaching into Samuel. And it's a WhatsApp. great privilege. Um, we might do more of these in the future, maybe in future sermon series. Um, Just to say, if you want to find out more about our church, please do come along on a Sunday. We'd love to see you or uh, visit our website for more information. But we'll say bye for now.